0: You are listening to the Daily Escape Podcast with Sadie K. Frazier. This episode has been brought to you by Traveling Realms Media.
1: Hey everybody. Welcome to a very special edition of the Daily Escape podcast. As you guys know, I've been interviewing and kind of sharing insights from people who have made an impact in my own life. And I've kind of started this series that's called people who inspire us to be more or to do more. Now by interviewing others that are facing challenges or battling a serious illness, and even those who've come face-to-face with death and lived to tell how they've managed to make it through, I have found these completely unexpected, life-altering, delicately pivotal moments of change and transformation that happen as a deeply personal process is revealed through their eyes. I hope that by sharing their stories, their hope, their inspiration, and also their challenges— their fears, and even the bitter, ugly truths that nobody really wants to talk about, that we might illuminate topics that are often hidden from view or just simply not discussed because we're afraid of the answers we might receive. Now today we have the honor of speaking with someone that I want to welcome to the Daily Escape podcast with arms and eyes wide open. Not just because she's my cousin and I love her, but because she is truly one of the most inspirational, strong, remarkably resilient women that I know. And I've asked her a lot of tough questions ahead of time. I sent her an email with a lot of questions and basically just asked that she pick and chooses how she wants to do this, how she wants to answer them. I basically just wanted to know from her perspective what her story is, what life from the perspective of someone who is living with ALS, how that feels, her journey along the way. I basically just wanted to share her answers and her journey with you as well. I knew, I just sensed that she has this story to tell that we only get to to glimpse maybe bits and pieces on the stuff that I see on Facebook and Some of the things that she's doing in her life to kind of knock some items, not only off her bucket list, but to inspire others and to hold on to hope that just because you receive a diagnosis like that does not mean that you have to stop living. In fact, it kind of energizes you to realize that life is too short. We can't just sit here and hope for someday, wait for one day. We need to make that, and you guys have heard me talk over and over and over again about Making today your day one. Don't wait for someday because if you wait for that, it just may be too late. So I can't wait to share her answers and her journey with you all as well. And like I said, in doing so, maybe we will all have the chance to grow in ways that we never ever expected. So I became a little more familiar with ALS when one of my high school friends passed away after suffering from ALS. And I ended up writing a a memoir of his life as if he would have had the chance to go to college and fall in love and have a child. Basically, the life he'd always dreamt of living, but he never got the chance to. Now, his legacy and core message to others was that we stop. We enjoy the little things. We never take one single breath for granted. So he lived by the live, laugh, love motto, always. And that book, if anybody wants to check it out on Amazon, it's entitled Love, Sam. And I literally poured my whole heart and soul into writing this book. There's a whole story behind it that I'll share with you guys someday, but let's just say that I felt led by my friend Sam, who, like I said, had passed away from ALS. And I can't explain how or why it came through in the way it did, but I just felt this overwhelming desire to write his story. So let me read you just the, the blurb of the story, and I feel like it really lines up with a lot of things that my cousin is going through right now too and the guests that I will have on my show here coming up. So I wanted to share that with you as well. After a terrifying accident, fate allows Sam Murphy a second chance at life. He turns the pages of that redefining chapter and looks forward to the future as he writes the story of his life. With a newfound sense of purpose, he is determined to live every moment to the fullest and make every moment count. As he begins to recover from his injuries, he accepts that there will be hard times along the way and that not every day will be easy to endure. What he couldn't have imagined were the heartbreaking adversities he'd soon be forced to face— or the incredible blessings that would transpire as this touching story unfolds. After meeting the love of his life, Addison Montgomery, as she literally came crashing through the doors of his Psych 101 class, she stormed her way straight into his life and forever into his heart. As they began planning and dreaming of a beautiful future together, they received a phone call that changes everything. In one split second, it became the moment their lives stood still and would never again be the same. An earth-shattering twist of fate tests Sam beyond the immeasurable limits of survival as his life and their future hangs in the balance. Join Addison and Sam on this inspirational journey through love, despair, loss, and hope. Walk beside them through some of the most intimate broken chapters of their hearts as they redefine the meaning of grace, of mercy, and of unyielding hope in the face of adversity in his dealing with his diagnosis of ALS. So I hope you guys will stop by and check that out as well. And I hope that not only their story, but also my guest's story will reach your heart and speak to you in ways that you had not expected it to. I'd like you to listen to this podcast with an open mind and an open heart as you let her words speak to you and touch you and inspire you to start living today. Now, I know, obviously, but for those of you who don't, I'd like to ask my cousin, Christine Gilmore, um, to just take a moment to introduce herself and tell us a little bit about herself and who she was before her illness. Welcome, Christine. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh,
0: well, before diagnosis, well, it was definitely much different than today. I led a pretty active life. Um, I worked as a Registered Nurse for 26 years, I was a hospice nurse helping people have a good death, and I worked in oncology where I help people live. Um, I was an avid hiker, I enjoyed any outdoor activity, hiking, snowshoeing, rafting, zip ziplining, um, but hiking was my passion. I've just, I've really never felt anything like it. It's, it's so hard to describe. When I would reach the top of the mountain, I would feel exhilarated. Um, and then my other passion was end-of-life care. Um, I, felt, I felt honored to care for my hospice patients. And I wanted everyone to be able to have that experience when they are dying. Uh, my someday list includes... Um, or included, climbing every 14er in Colorado. And for those of you who aren't familiar with that term, it refers to mountains that are 14,000 feet and higher. Um, Another bucket list item was I wanted to see the fall leaves in New England, and I wanted to go to Ireland or just travel in general. I experienced my first symptoms in 2016. Um, At that point, I was in the best shape of my adult life. I would spent several months working with a personal trainer, lifting weights, cross-training, and he pushed me like he would with any of his younger clients. I lost 40 pounds and I developed a really muscular body. And then all of a sudden I began to have difficulty hiking uphill. I would get tired really easily and I started to trip and fall. At first, I thought, you know, could it be my age? Was I just a klutz? And then I decided it was just me being careless and not paying attention to the trail. And I just really didn't affect, let it affect my life. But the following year, the fall of 2017, we were hiking. It was a pretty strenuous hike. On the way down, I had difficulty standing up straight. My body kept leaning to the left and I thought I was having a stroke. So I met with my PCP and she ordered a brain MRI and then told me it was normal and there was nothing neurologically wrong with me. After that, hiking started to become more difficult and eventually even walking on flat surfaces was taxing. So then in 2018, I saw a new physician who referred me to a spine doctor. The spine doctor referred me to a neurologist. Um, so ALS, it's a diagnosis of exclusion. They test for almost anything and everything that can, um, to rule out other diagnoses. So I had a spinal tap, I had MRIs, CT scans, and EMGs. And the EMG involves needles being inserted in the muscle to, and it looks at electric electrical activity in the muscles. Um, so after all of those tests, in 2019, my neurologist said this is bad. He said that um, you know motor neuron disease, and the original disorder was called PMA. So it's a basically, a lower motor neuron form of ALS um, because I didn't have some of the other symptoms, um, the upper motor neuron symptoms that define ALS. But he told me it could probably turn into ALS. He told me I needed to get my fares in order, start thinking about a feeding tube, trach, and a ventilator. There are different types of ALS. 10% are familial or genetic. The other 80% are sporadic. They don't know what causes it. Um, there's limb onset um, and then there's another type called bulbar, which usually presents with speech and swallowing issues as the first sign. Um, and every patient though has a little different experience, but the end result is the same. I will end up being a prisoner in my own body and completely, in de- completely dependent on others to care for me. My prognosis, based on the rate of progression I had been experiencing, was three to seven or eight years from diagnosis. So we are almost to the three-year mark. There are people who outlive their prognosis. Of course, I'm hoping to be one of those people, Uh, but my condition will continue to progress. There is no cure. There are treatments in clinical trials right now. Uh, There's a stem cell treatment that has shown some promise and had reversal symptoms after one dose. But the FDA won't approve it because they don't feel it um, they feel it didn't help enough people. I don't qualify for any of these trials because um, they exclude people who have had symptoms for more than 24 months. If my PCP back in 2017 would have referred me to a neurologist and gotten the, and I would have had the appropriate diagnosis I would have been able to participate in clinical trials at that time. So have you, as you've probably seen on my Facebook page, I occasionally become outraged about things related to disability. Um, one of my biggest pet peeves is parking. First, there are never enough handicap spaces. Uh, second, I've caught many people parked in handicapped spots who who don't have disability plates or a placard. Third, there are access aisles between handicapped spots. Uh, this is indicated by that there are several diagonal white lines, and this space is there to accommodate wheelchair van ramps. I've seen people park in that spot or half in that parking spot and half in the aisle. I've had situations where I could not get back into my van because someone's parked too close. Um, the other irritation of mine is public restrooms. Rarely have I found a restroom that's truly accessible. Sometimes there'll be a sign in the door that says that it is, but I've been stuck on the toilet several times. Uh, we were in Ireland recently, and it's amazing. They were leaps and bounds ahead of the U.S. when it came to accessibility. The pubs, the restaurants had... Separate bathrooms just for uh, disabled use. And they were truly accessible. Chris and I met the end of 2015. I was on a dating website and had experienced a few dud dates, as we probably all have. And I was looking for someone who liked to go to church. I liked church, but I wanted someone to sit next to me um, in church and, and who had the same beliefs, and I was looking for someone who loved, <clears throat> excuse me, who loved hiking as much as I did. Um, Chris and I started to chat. I asked him what he did for a living. He told me he worked at a church, and I was like, you know, what, what, are you the janitor or, you know, but I finally got it out of him that he was a minister. He didn't want to tell me because he didn't want to scare me off. And I guess there are women out there who are specifically looking for a minister, so he didn't put that on his profile. Um, our first date was December 30th of 2015, and we saw each other four days in a row. Um, I'm not really not very good at playing hard to get. And as they say, the rest is history. Last year he was due for three months sabbatical which was canceled due to the pandemic. So um, this year we did his sabbatical, but we named it a sabbatamoon, part sabbatical, part, part honeymoon. So he had received a grant which covered all of our travel expenses. And then we also received contributions to our adventure funds from friends and family for wedding presents. We spent five weeks traveling, we went to Croatia, Ireland, Maine, um, Vermont, and Niagara Falls. In Croatia, we, basically, we did some sightseeing and relaxing and the weather was beautiful. And mm-hmm. then in mm-hmm. Ireland, we enjoyed the pubs and I absolutely love the Irish folk music. I love the way Ireland is, the lifestyle there is so laid back and they truly seem to care for each other. So yeah, I'm actually worried about my husband, Chris. During his three months off, his only responsibility was basically was taking care of me in our home. And when we were overseas, I required a lot more assistance because the hotels in the United States and Croatia are not set up for someone who's disabled. He went back to work a couple of weeks ago and the stress has returned. I don't require much care I require minimal care but I can't imagine what it's going to be like when I need more help I mean he married me he was fully aware of what he was getting into although I don't think you really really know until you're in the situation Um, but he's great at listening to my concerns he encourages me to have as many adventures as I want and um, ALS is actually not just my diagnosis We, Chris and I, have the diagnosis. It's our diagnosis. Um, My happiest moment, um, there are a few, um, anytime I've reached the summit of a mountain, it's like I said before, it's exhilarating and I accomplished something that I didn't think I could do. Um, I thrive on positive feedback and accomplishing goals. Um, And also getting married to Chris knowing that he's committed to me and our disease. Last year I was introduced to Jeff Lockwood, his foundation, the Lockwood foundation. Um, Their mission is to create opportunities in the outdoors for those with disabilities. And Jeff feels like everyone should be able to experience the trails and the mountains in Colorado. So they have these special chairs, they're called, trail riders. Um, So it's a chair and it has a wheel underneath, which is kind of like a wheelbarrow kind of wheel. And then there's two handles in front and two handles in back. And anywhere from two to four people push and carry the rider. So this is the second year they've done this trip up Mount Albert, which is the tallest mountain in the Rocky Mountains. And they only take one person at a time and they chose me this year. Um, Partially because of my diagnosis and not knowing what my condition will be next year when they do the trip. So Chris and I, along with 35 volunteers, did the trek in two days. When we reached the top, um, Chris and I, or Chris and a couple of volunteers, helped me take the last few steps to the top. And I'm telling you, you can't, you can't even imagine the thrill. You're basically on top of the world. Uh, the views are, are just totally amazing. Um, I, cu- I couldn't stop smiling. I smiled the entire way down and the entire way home. Um, you know, and while I'd, I'd rather use my legs to get to the top, this, this was the second best thing. So Chris's sister, brother-in-law, and nine-year-old niece also did the climb. So his niece, it was her first 14-er, and it was the tallest one in the Rocky Mountains. I was, I was just so proud of her. So then a few weeks after the hike, um, another man, Barry Sapinski, contacted me through Facebook. He has his own foundation. It's called Challenge to Conquer ALS. So he had seen my hiking video, and he wanted to know if I wanted to skydive. Of course I did. Chris and I did um, tandem jumps with the instructors. There's just, again, just like climbing a mountain. There's no way to describe it. Um, It was quite the rush, and when we landed, I said, all right, I, I want to do it again. Uh, with that, I definitely gained a sense of accomplishment. Mm-hmm. I looked fear in the face, and I won. I mean, it made me feel like I could do anything. Well, almost, almost anything I set my mind to. We've talked about scuba diving lessons. Um, there's organizations in Denver that do the lessons in a pool. And once I become certified, we would take a trip somewhere to do the real thing. And there's another organization, there's one in California and one in Australia, that does adaptive surfing, um, which interests me. And I might even check out um, adaptive winter sports at a local ski resort. I don't like the cold much, but I'll try anything almost once. So I think people are familiar with Kubler-Ross's Stages of Grief. There's denial, isolation, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. At first, the thought was that someone with a loss went through these stages in order. But it's, it's known now that there is no particular order. And it's possible that there are steps that are skipped mm-hmm. by some. Not everyone reaches acceptance. Um, I seem to be doing the stages simultaneously. It changes depending on the day i still experience denial thinking i won't get worse um, if i ever do experience depression it it doesn't last long i allow myself to have a personal pity party for an hour or so and then um i go back to living so what keeps me going um being an advocate and helping others keeps me going um being able to help others on you know the different Facebook pages, people who are newly newly diagnosed. I like to provide them with references and answer their questions. And the ALS community has been working hard to get Congress to pass a bill that will allow patients access to potentially life-saving treatments. My message to ALS patients is to continue life as fully as you can. Don't give up and don't allow ALS to take everything away from you. This illness has taught me not to sweat the small stuff, even though most of it is small stuff. It's taught me to make plans and do as much as I can while I can. One thing which I mentioned before is that my relationship with my husband improved. Um, I'm not sure what it was exactly. I think I just stopped being afraid. I'd experienced some bad relationships and was always in fear that this one wouldn't work out. And I was so afraid that I was going to get hurt again. But seeing that he's committed to this relationship and knowing he knows he will have to take care of me, that squashed those fears. Also after diagnosis, my neurologist encouraged me to quit my job. Um, as a nurse, my, my job was stressful, but I also noticed that it um, seemed like it was making my symptoms worse. Um, the days were long. The um, working in an oncology setting um, it is very stressful. I did feel bad for leaving. It was you know during COVID, and I felt guilty. I felt bad for leaving my coworkers to deal with. COVID and the added stress that that caused but um, with that said um, I do feel a lot more relaxed now the stress is mostly gone and um, it doesn't seem like I'm progressing as fast as I was so it may be a coincidence but after my first COVID shot in March I did um, have improvement in function Prior to the shot, I, it was almost impossible for me to roll over in bed on my own. Um, I also noticed, um, well, a few days, or maybe it was like about three weeks after my first shot, I was able to roll over with ease. I also noticed that I was able to get out of bed easier. So I didn't notice any changes after the second shot. And it's been about three weeks since my third shot, and it could be all in my head, but um, it's it is easier now for me to get off the toilet. Um, and there's been two others in my Facebook groups that have reported um, improvement after their shot. And my neurologist said that she's had other patients with other neurological diseases, like you know, I don't know, Parkinson's and. Um, and they have also, had also reported improvement after the vaccine. Ask for help and accept help. It is difficult, especially for those of us in healthcare. I took care of others as a nurse for 26 years. I've always been independent. I don't, I have this thing, I don't wanna put people out. And I've learned that when you have a serious illness, you start each day with a limited amount of energy. And everything you do that day, getting out of bed, brushing your teeth, taking a shower, it takes away from that reserve. So allowing others to help um, conserves my energy. So say we're going to go out, we're going to go meet friends in the evening. I try to have a pretty low-key day and I allow Chris to help me with getting dressed and I try not to you know, do a lot around the house. I just try to conserve what energy I can. So yeah, I worked in oncology and hospice. And the patient that influenced me most was um, was a hospice patient. Um, He was a new patient to me and I had some extra time and I just, I like to get to know my patients, you know, like who they were before their diagnosis. So he told me about all these, all these travels that he had done, and he lived in some really interesting places. And I told him that, you know, someday I wanted to move to Colorado and spend my free time hiking. He told me, he looked at me, and he said, don't wait for someday because it might not happen or be too late to do the things I wanted to do. I'm telling you, that's all it took. I found a hospice job near Vail, Colorado, and I moved. If it weren't for that patient, I may not have ever had a chance to live in the mountains and done the hiking that I wanted to do. I also had many patients who were unbelievably strong, dealing with tough chemo regimens and six weeks of daily radiation. Uh, I told my patients that, you know, when I first met them, I told them I was there to be their cheerleader. And that's the thing about ALS. We don't really have those cheerleaders. Um, Most people don't even know what ALS is. My mom taught me the importance of being strong. She dealt with a lot of hardship in her life. And she always got out of it stronger than before. And my husband, Chris, he's taught me patience and tolerance. And he's opened my eyes to the world. And he's helped me see that there's more than one way to to live life. There are many ALS patients who have shown amazing strength, they continue to advocate for change. And there's one particular woman, and I'm sure I will butcher her name, it's Mayuri Saxena. Um, She's at the very end stages, as far as she's completely paralyzed, she's on a ventilator, can't eat, can't speak, um, but with her eye gaze system, where she can type using her eyes, she continues to advocate every day using her eyes to type. And when I feel overwhelmed, I, I have several go to fixes. I still have a de- desire to help others. Like I said, I like to spend time on the ALS groups on Facebook, um, providing su- support for people who are newly diagnosed. I still love being outside. Uh, I remember the day that I received my power chair. I was so excited. I took it out for a ride on a nearby trail because without it I couldn't get outside. I couldn't use my walker anymore. My legs were too weak. When I got out on that trail and started busting down at 6.4 miles an hour I smiled from ear to ear. It may sound weird. Um, Another thing that comforts me is reading memoirs of others who have had ALS. Their stories inspire me uh, to keep going and it actually recharges me. My biggest challenge now is that my arms and hands are becoming weaker. I have to use two hands to do most things like brush my teeth or dry my hair. And this sounds really vain, Um, but you have to know my upbringing, Um, but the day I can no longer fix my own hair or put my makeup on is going to be really tough. My biggest fear is becoming an emotional, physical, and financial burden. I've read that it costs $250,000 a year to have ALS, but I've also heard that it costs much more than that when you have 24-hour caregiving. Um, There's a um, shortage of paid caregivers, and insurance doesn't cover it. And for those of us in middle class um, income, um, we're the least able to pay for this. Uh, I make too much money for Medicaid with my disability, but not enough to pay out of pocket. Um, We've been fortunate. um, We received a grant to make modifications to our bathroom. And we received a lot of free equipment from the ALS chapter, uh, from the local chapter. And um, the organization called Team Gleason. Um, Team Gleason has provided provided me with a travel wheelchair. And they paid for the part of my power wheelchair um, that allows it to go up and down so that I can like reach into the kitchen cabinets and um talk to people face to face instead of people looking down down on me um I also fear the changes this could make with my relationship with my husband I mean how on earth will he continue to have intimate feelings for me when he's also being my caregiver I mean, I can't lie, you know, I've, I have enjoyed the attention I've received from my, car- my adventures. Uh, one of the local news stations in Denver interviewed me about my hike. And I'm pretty vocal, so I've been invited to be on Zoom calls with Congress members from Colorado and Nebraska. My thought is, if you have a problem with something, you need to be part of the solution. And I've also learned that I'm much stronger than I thought I would be. A title. Um, gosh, I'm um, thinking about this. The, the longest hike. Um, the highest summit um, someday or maybe is today someday I don't know of course I would include the story about the hospice patient who gave me a chance to pursue my dreams um, I would include my adventures and you know I just would, would talk a little bit about about how ALS or other disabilities and completely change your life and send you down another path. Yeah, I would like to write my story, um, maybe even two books. I'd like to write a book about my nursing career. Um, there's always really good patient stories, uh, especially the ones when I worked in a jail for a year and a half. I'd also like to write about my, my life and my ALS journey. I journal off and on. Um, I haven't been really consistent with it, but um, which I'd like to be. I also like to do a blog. I just haven't figured out how to start it yet. One song that a friend reminded me of is um, Tim McGraw's Live Like You Were Dying. I've been skydiving and Rocky Mountain climbing. Um, I'm not sure you had about the 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu, but um, I may have to substitute a mechanical bull for that. When One thing um, when I quit working, one of the hardest things was that I felt like I lost my purpose. But then I realized I, I have the same purpose um, my purpose is to help others it may not be in the same type of setting or the same type of helping um, but I, I do feel like you know I've been very vocal been an advocate I've opened people's eyes to things like oh the disability parking spots or what accessibility looks like in the US versus what it likes look looks like other uh, um, other places um, I don't know maybe I'll even do like a, a travel blog or you know write stories for some disability magazines um, kind of to help other people know what's available um, places to stay in other countries transportation those kinds of things what I really wish is I wish I had my legs back because I, I, I truly miss hiking. It, that was the one thing that I mean, really, really kept me going. It helped me de-stress on my days off. It uh, helped me with my anxiety. It, it got me away from all the, the noise of the city. And I just, I felt like, I, I just, you know, in so many parts of my life, I felt like a failure. And hiking, I don't know, it it just helped me feel better about myself. Like I really can do something. And I I wish I had more time to travel. And as time goes on, it's, you know, it is gonna be much more difficult to travel. And so I I wanna try to do as much as I can now. Um, So, yeah. Um, again, I want I want to thank you for for having me. Um, I do like telling my story, and I, if nothing else, I want people to have a little bit of awareness of what this disease is, and maybe find a few minutes of their time to contact their local um, senators and representatives and ask them to to help help us get treatment. And pass the bills that are needed so that we have access to treatment just like like cancer patients do. Wow.
1: There's not much I can say after all that, Chris. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for joining us today. And we truly are all praying for a miracle for those who suffer from ALS and for you specifically, Chris. I am just astounded by your strength, your resilience, and your joy and your courage as you live boldly in the face of your own potential mortality. You have shown remarkable courage in the face of adversity. Your strength and mind, body, and spirit is immeasurable. And the grace and honesty in which you've answered my questions and shared your heart and journey with us today truly has changed my life in ways that I did not expect. So, like I said, I thank you with all of my heart for allowing us all to become a part of your world for even just a few minutes to glimpse life through ALS through your eyes. It's been an incredible experience I will always treasure and my heart is forever changed by your incredibly inspiring story. And for all the rest of you, I hope that you will join me each week as we do take the next steps in becoming more than we ever thought imaginable as well, as we learn that nothing is too big to handle when we step out of the way and we let the universe guide us. My wish is that my guest, Chris, as well as myself, have provided you with hope, that we've uplifted you, that we've made you laugh, made you cry, but that Most of all, we've made you want to scream out loud. I can do this. Yes, I can. So chin up, my friend. You've taken another big step and it's all uphill from here. So straighten your crown, take a deep breath in and let it all go because I believe in you. You've got what it takes and so do I. And I think after talking to Chris today, those words have always meant a whole lot to me but they mean even more now. And I truly thank you from the bottom of my heart for opening our eyes and showing us that today needs to be our someday, our one day that we take that step forward and we truly learn to live again. So together we'll make it through day by day and piece by piece until we're restored, healed, and find joy in the journey once again. I hope you all have a great week and you find a little piece of heaven to retreat to as you're learning to live your best life and let nothing stop you, because life is just too short. So hang in there and know that you are loved from here to the universe and back. Until next time, I'm unconditionally yours. All my love, Sadie.